First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Before we start our message, I just want to take a minute and say thank you to everybody that does things behind the scenes here at Old New Hope. There's a lot that goes on from cleaning the church building to make sure that we have water that runs and lights that shine and prayer lists that are updated and uh, our rushers that help out and people that help out with the service and, and lead our prayers, lead our singing. There's just so much that's done here, and I just thank you all for doing that. And not, not just for me, but thank you for doing it for the Lord, uh, because ultimately that's who we're serving when we when we work in the church, and so just, I want to take a minute to say thank you. We don't do that as, as often as we should, and I think we need to do that. Well, we're coming to the end of our study of First Peter, and it's kind of like when you watch a series on TV, and the series comes to an end, and you sort of wonder what happened to those characters next, and you miss them a little bit. For me, uh, there's a lot that I've studied during the week that, like a Hollywood movie, gets left on the cutting room floor that doesn't get put into the sermon. I, I've learned a lot out of First Peter as I've worked my way through it. I hope it's been a blessing to you. As we finish it up, we're just starting it at Turney Center on Monday nights. So I pray that you'll be with us as we study on Monday nights with the inmates there at, uh, at Turney Center as we go through this book. So... Uh, it never really leaves us, and I hope that it that will stay in our hearts. But we remember that Peter tells us we are elect pilgrims. We are scattered. His listeners were scattered. We are the same way. We are Christian people. We are godly people looking, living on the outside, looking in. We are trying to be a light to those that are on the inside. We are trying to let Jesus be shown in our lives so that they too will come to Jesus. And Peter has talked about different uh, topics. And one of the topics that he's talked about quite often is suffering. And, and why is it we go through the things that we go through? And we're going to pick that up again a little bit today as we finish up. But our text today is 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to read verse it started verse 6 for context sake. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, 
I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we look at this last paragraph in, in 1 Peter, I want to start our message off by reminding you that spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. It has gone on ever since the Garden of Eden. It's really gone on before the Garden of Eden when Satan rebelled against God. But our warfare is a real thing. It's not something that's a figment of our imagination. It's not something that we make up. Our spiritual warfare is, in fact, real. And it's constant. And Peter's entire letter, really, can be summed up in verse 8, the beginning of it, when he says, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, what he's saying, sober doesn't just mean not drunk. Sober here carries with it the idea of being clear-headed. We need to keep our head on our shoulders. We need to think straight. He says, be vigilant, be watchful, pay attention. It's amazing to me, especially you go to a city like Nashville or, or any big city, and I suppose really most anywhere, I wonder if there's a study that has been done on people that are texting on their cell phones that walk right out in front of traffic because they're not paying attention to what they're... I'm sure there have been people killed that way. You know, they say don't text and drive. Don't text and walk either because folks just... They, they do. They, or they'll text and run into people. We need to pay attention. We're in a war. As Christian people, be watchful. Have a level head on our shoulders. Y'all seen the news lately? Chinese weather balloons? Attacks on food distribution centers? Wars? Rumors of, rumors of wars? Y'all, we live in a crazy world. And can I tell you that a lot of it is demonic? <coughs> and it's a war? that we are fighting, not only is it going on on this earth, but it's also going on in the heavenlies. What we are fighting on earth is just the overflow of what's happening with Satan and his demons and God and his angels in the heavenlies. But we need to realize that spiritual warfare is real. We have an adversary. We have an enemy. We have an opponent. Peter here says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary or your enemy or your opponent, the devil. Can I tell you that the devil is real? Just as sure as you and I sitting here this morning are real, the devil, Satan, is real. The Greek word for devil is diabolos, meaning one prone to slander slanderous or accusing falsely. Satan is a liar. He's the father of liars, and that's what Satan does. He lies to himself, he lies to his demons, and he lies to anybody that will listen. And he is real, 
The world tells us that Satan is just a figment of our imagination. He's just evil. He's just a personification of all evil. Can I tell you that's not right? Satan is real. And he does not wear a red union suit and carry a pitchfork with horns. You know what he looks like? He looks like an angel of light. He looks like somebody good. He looks like someone trying to do the right thing. The devil is real. And he is our, what? Enemy. He's not our friend. Don't be friends with the devil. Y'all, if we're Christ followers, that's who we're, that, that, we're following him. He'd leave the devil alone. Because he's our enemy. What about the devil's data? There's some data that we need to know about the devil. First of all, the devil is a created being. The devil is not eternal. And we won't read the scripture. Ezekiel 28 is a chapter that you need to know. It talks about Lucifer being created of God. He was created beautiful. God called him star of the morning. Probably the most beautiful, handsome angel that God created. And that's what Satan was created to be, was an angel. Unfortunately, Satan became proud. He looked at himself in the mirror one too many times and said, Huh, I look pretty good, don't I? And I'm pretty smart, and I tell you what I think I'm going to do. I want to have a throne just like God's. And I want to have people worship me, and created beings worship me, just like they worship God. So Satan rebelled, and he was cast to earth. And we don't have time to get into this this morning. I don't want to get into a different rabbit track because I'm bad enough about doing that already. So I want to stay on track. But here's some scriptures you can write down. There are four casting outs of Satan in scripture. The first one is found in Ezekiel 28, 14 to 16. And that's when Satan decides he's going to rebel against God. And God casts him to earth. That happened somewhere between Genesis 1 and before Genesis 3. We know that Satan was in the garden. So he was cast down somewhere then. We don't know how much time happened really between the creation of man and the fall of man. Moses doesn't tell us that. It, it could have been a, quite a while. But Satan was cast. That's the first one. The second one is found in Revelation chapter 12. We know that right now Satan has access to heaven. Satan went to heaven to talk about Job, remember? In Job chapter 1, he says, do you remember my servant Job? And Satan slanders God's people to him today. But there's coming a time in Revelation 12 that God's going to totally shut off his access to heaven. So that's another casting down. The third casting down is in Revelation 20. And that's when Satan is going to be sent to uh, the, the, for a thousand years to the bottomless pit. Uh, when Christ comes back, sets up his uh, thousand year kingdom, Satan is going to be bound at that time in the bottomless pit. And then finally, later in Revelation 20, Satan is going to be cast from the pit. He's going to be released for a while to uh, face uh, Jesus one more time. And then he's going to finally be defeated and cast into hell. But understand, Satan is real. 
He's a created being. But also understand that Satan is neither all-knowing, and the big word for that is omniscient, O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T. That simply means all-knowing. Satan does not know everything. Satan is not God. Satan is not deity. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is also not omnipresent. That means present everywhere. Satan can't be everywhere at once like God is. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Satan is a created being. Let me say this. Satan's probably a better theologian than any theologian. Satan knows what God's plans are. He just doesn't believe. <clears throat> Satan's defeated, but he just doesn't think he's defeated. He's proud enough to think he's going to win. And he's still trying to win. So that is Satan's data. What about the devil's duties? What does the devil do? Well, we've said already, Satan is busy slandering. Satan is busy accusing God's people to God. That's, that's Job chapter 1. Also, Revelation 12. Satan goes to the throne room and says, Hey, Satan, or God, have you, what about that Andy Plank down there? Have you, have you thought about him lately? He sure's not much, is he? He got a bad heart. He's a little bit overweight. He's getting old. He's not much, is he? He slanders and he accuses. Understand, while Satan does that, we have Jesus interceding for us. Right? But Satan is a slanderer. In Revelation 12, when the access to the throne room is closed to Satan forever, God's people that are in heaven celebrate. The accuser accuses no more. But right now he's accusing. But according to 1 Peter, he is also right now wandering the earth looking for victims. Notice what he says. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't walk about like a tame lion. He walks about like a roaring lion. Somebody put a recording on Facebook. It was pitch black night in Africa. And they, they recorded a lion's roar. And let me tell you, it, 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 it gives you chills to hear a roaring lion. And that's the picture that Peter's trying to get his readers and us to understand about Satan. Satan's walking around like a roaring lion. Now my cat at home, Toad, Toad is not a roaring lion. She's a fat cat. But when you watch Toad, she's always looking for something. She, she's a good hunter. She, whether it be a mouse or a bird or a mole, She's always looking, and that's what cats do. Cats are hunters. And that's what Satan the lion does. He's looking for victims. See what it says? It says that he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may lick. Does it say that? Seeking to whom he may give a love tap. He says, seeking to whom he may devour. Satan does not have your best interest in mind. Satan does not have my best interest in mind. Satan is looking for a meal. Amen? 
That word devour is interesting. It means to chow down. Satan's looking to chow down on you and chow down on me and chow down on God's people. He's already got the world. They're already his. He's looking for us. He's looking for his next meal. And interestingly enough, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul uses this same word to describe Christians. He said, you Christians bite and devour. Now that's a whole other sermon. How some Christians do the same thing Satan does. It's said that Christians are the only group in the world that shoot their own wounded and and there, there's some truth to some of that. But Satan is looking for a meal. Satan is looking to devour. Satan is looking to chow down on me and to chow down on you. So how do we defeat Satan? What do we do to, to defeat Satan? Understand this. Satan has already been defeated at Calvary. The war is won. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He's just not dead yet. Satan, Satan's still in his death throes. Y'all seen you know people get shot in cowboy movies and flop around and have big dramatic death scenes? That's what Satan's doing. He's dead, he just doesn't know it. But right now, he's very much dangerous. Did you know a dead rattlesnake can kill you? Satan's dangerous. Satan's after us. But understand that as Christians, we need to fight from victory. We don't need to fight for victory. We need to fight from victory. Our Jesus has already defeated Satan. Scripture tells us that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. The battle's won. So we need to fight for victory. The war's already been won. We just have a battle. But now what do we need to do to defeat the battle? First of all, we need to submit to God or to defeat the devil in battle. We need to submit to God. Going back to verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We need to submit to God. We need to understand that we are under God. It's not all about us. See, Satan, he tried to rebel against God and be like God. Satan came to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and told Eve, you need to eat this fruit so you can what? Be like God. Satan tries to get us to do the same thing he was unsuccessful in doing. And he whispers in our ear, you're your own God. Serve yourself. It's all about you. You're the greatest. You're the most wonderful. You're the smartest. It's all about what you want. If you don't stand up for you, nobody will stand up for you. My dad used to have a saying, he who toots not his own horn doesn't get it tooted. And while there's a little truth to that, Satan's after us to toot our horn to the neglect of everybody else's horn. Can I remind us this morning that blowing out somebody else's candle doesn't make our candle shine any brighter? 
We need to understand, let's submit to God. We're under Him. It's what God says, what God wants. God is the creator. He's the master of the universe. Satan is a lion, but he's a lion on a leash because he doesn't do anything God doesn't allow him to do. So first we need to learn to submit to God. Let, put God on his throne. Then we need to be serious and alert. Verse 8. Be sober. Be clear-minded. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have fun. I believe Jesus had fun. Jesus liked people and people liked Jesus. So that tells me Jesus was a pleasure to be around. But we need to see things for what they are. Y'all, we're in a spiritual war right now. I told our Sunday school class, I read, I read about, I heard about this yesterday on Bot Radio. Uh, and I think it's the end of April, 1st of May, they are having in Boston, I think it's in Boston, it's one of the northeastern cities, they are having what they are billing SatanCon. It's the first convention for all the people that are worshiping Satan to come to. I'm sure it... If you haven't seen the Grammys, you've heard about it. The devil-worshipping people, they did on the... the and, they, and they say, oh, you're taking it too... You're, you're just taking it wrong. That was just a parody. That was just... Y'all, it's devil worship. There's a war going on. And we need to wake up and realize what's happening. They're after our children. They're after our grandchildren. And as Christian parents... As Christian grandparents, as churches, we need to remind folks that we're in a war, and we need to be so we need to be serious about this war, and we need to be alert. Why is it at two o'clock in the morning when it's dark outside, you could hear the slightest noise and wake up, and you automatically think a burglar's in the house? That or a ghost, and I'd as soon think it's a burglar because I want to go down, down that other road, right? <laughs> but we're alert. We're awake. And what do we do? We get up and go see what it is. You ever watch people do that on TV? There'll be a noise outside, and they'll get up and just out they'll go, you know, burglar or whatever, just curlers and all out the door, just looking and uh, trying to find what it is. Need to be alert. It's a war going on, and they're after, Satan is looking at for someone a victim to what devour. It's real, and right now it's our kids and our grandkids. Satan worship used to be done in the woods at midnight on a foggy night, and now they're getting ready to have a convention of them broad daylight in Boston. There's a war going on, y'all. It's real. We have an enemy. Verse 9 tells us we need to resist the devil. We need to resist. How much effort do we put in resisting the devil when the devil tempts us? 
I need to resist Reese's cups. But I'll be honest, I generally don't try too hard. We need to put up a fight. But can I tell you this? It's impossible to resist the devil if you first haven't submitted to God. First we need to submit to God. Then do we need to be awake and alert as to what's going on. And when we realize the devil's after us, we need to resist. A fellow took a pocket knife and he cut the tail off of a lion. And he held that tail up. He was proud of that tail he got with the pocket knife. And somebody said, well, uh, why didn't you cut off his head? And the man said, well, to be honest with you, somebody else had already killed him. <laughs> How much resisting do we do? Understand, Satan's or Jesus is already he's already killed Satan. We need to fight from victory. We need to submit to God, submit to Jesus, submit to that Holy Spirit living in us, giving us the power to defeat Satan. We need to recognize that it's Satan, and then we need to resist and put up a fight and say, "Not today, Satan. Not today." And I didn't put this in our notes, but can I remind us to not get too far ahead of ourselves? Don't worry about defeating Satan tomorrow. Defeat Satan today. Conquer ground today. And then the next thing is we need to remain steadfast. That means hold firm. Defeat Satan today and don't take, let Satan take back conquered ground. You know, a lot of wars are fought. The fronts move where the, the, the armies go. And once, we def once Satan is defeated, we need to stand firm. That's a military term. Stand firm. Don't give up the line. Don't let Satan have back what he's already conquered. Stay firm. Resist the devil. Stay steadfast. And then there in verse 9, interestingly enough, he says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are exper experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Understand and remember, we are not alone in our struggle. When you look around just us this morning, did you know all of us are being tempted by the devil? Every one of us sitting here are struggling with Satan. I want you to think of the most godly man or woman you know. Did you know they struggle and they, they, they're fighting Satan too? Isn't it a comfort to know you're not alone? That other people are going through this as well? We also need to remember in verse 10, after the fight comes victory. After the fight comes victory. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, 
and settled you. Our suffering, and our suffering is going to vary in intensity. Our suffering is going to vary in type. We all have different suffering. Sometimes our suffering is very intense. Sometimes our suffering, it's a trial, but it's not that intense. But it may be different. We all are, we all suffer differently. But after, we need first of all to remember that our suffering is just for a while. Just for a little while. Our suffering's temporary. And we've said before that even if you spend 90 years on this earth, and all 90 years are a struggle, if you go home to live with Jesus forever, this 90 years is just a minute. It's just for a little while. And after suffering comes glory. After the suffering comes the glory. Yes, Jesus was crucified, but then he was raised. And then he was raised, then he went back to heaven, where he's sitting on the right hand of God. First comes the suffering, then comes the glory. Now, we want to get to the glory part without the suffering, and it just doesn't work that way. That's not the way God works. Well, why in the world does God allow us to suffer? What's God's purposes for our suffering? And we find it in verse 10. There are four of them that Peter gives. First of all, he says, our suffering helps to perfect us, to make us complete, to make us be everything God wants us to be. We are. God could have saved us and then taken us straight home because he's already done that. If Ephesians says once we're born again, we have, we're raised with, to sit with Jesus in the heavenlies. And in a very real sense, we're there. But yet, realistically, not yet. Because we're still in school. Jesus, uh, God is still molding us. God is still shaping us. God is still perfecting us. He's busy. He's wanting to make us complete. Now, we're not going to see that till we get to heaven. And I've got a long way to go. But thank God I'm not where I started. Amen? What about y'all? Our sufferings help to make us who God wants us to be. Help make us be like Jesus. Secondly, our sufferings establish us. They build us up. They give us a foundation. Would you agree with this statement? We find out more what our character is in hard times than we do in easy times. We learn more, we mature more in the valleys rather than the mountaintops. It's those valleys, it's that struggling that helps to give us that foundation. You have a strong faith, you say yes, how do you know? We don't know how strong our faith is until our faith has been tested, do we? Our faith, our struggles help to give us faith and strength. Our suffering also strengthens us, makes us stronger. When I was younger, I used to hate getting a shot. Now, can I tell you, I'm still not real crazy about it. 
It's not my favorite thing. When uh, Marie or I cough at the house, Miss Cozy goes, y'all need to go to the doctor and get a shot. <laughs> I uh, think there's something about her. She wants to watch people get a shot. There's just something mean about that. But did you know that as I've gotten older and I've had a bunch of shots, while I still don't like it, it it's not that big a deal. That's where suffering comes in. It's not great. I don't want it. But I've been through enough to know I can get through whatever it is that's in front of me. Because I've done it before and God will bring me through it. It strengthens us. It gives us, uh, it builds our muscles. It makes us stronger. Charles Stanley says the problem with today's church is we've got too many Christians that have too much flab on them. And he's not talking about our belly. He's talking about spiritual flab. We had not worked out spiritually. And part of working out and building spiritual muscles is going through hard stuff. Going through trials and persecutions and struggles. And then finally, we see that our sufferings perfect us, they establish us, they strengthen us, and they settle us. They help us be settled. You know, if all you did is go through life from one party to the next, you never would get settled. You never would accomplish anything. Sufferings and difficulties help settle us. And that's God's purposes for our suffering, for us. To perfect us, to establish us, to strengthen us, to settle us. And then understand that our victory and our glory are gifts from God's storehouse of grace. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us into his eternal glory. Everything we have from God is by God's grace. All of our blessings come from God's storehouse. God gets the glory. When we are in the middle of our sufferings, we need to ask ourselves two things. What lesson is God trying to teach me? And how can I give God the glory? Because my life and your life, the life of any Christ follower, the purpose of it is to give God glory. Now, we benefit too. God gives us plenty, but he's the one that gets the glory. He get verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's, it's all him. It's all God. He's the one with the glory. He's the one with the, with the dominion. He's the one that's sitting on his throne. Now and forever. Peter just goes to worship and he says, Amen. That's a prayer. And you think he's finished. You think, well, that's the end. But then it's like Peter goes, oh yeah. I have a couple other things I want to talk about. Beethoven in the first movement of his fifth symphony, he tries to stop that thing about four times. And it takes off again. They call them fate or false cadences. You think he's coming to that final cadence, but he, he goes, well, Peter, he gives one of those false cadences. 
He's got a couple other things to say. And I've wrapped that up by saying, enjoy the journey. Peter's having fun on his journey. He's full of joy. They were interviewing a fella about surviving a tornado. And they said, well, what would you think about it? He said, well, you know, he said, I'd have enjoyed it a whole lot more if I'd have known I was going to live through it. Amen. <laughs> that ought to be us in life. Y'all, I don't care how hard, how hard our times are right now. We're going to get through it. Paul tells us in Philippians 1 verse 6, the work that Jesus Christ began in each of us, he's going to finish. We're going to go home. Well, how do we enjoy the journey? Can I tell you that Peter enjoyed his brothers? Look what it says here, verse 12. By Sylvanus, by the way, that's Silas. Book of Acts says Paul and Silas. This is Sylvanus is Silas. Our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you. Uh, this is probably other Christians, probably Roman Christians. Babylon is probably a name for Rome. We're not sure. There, there were also, there were three area, three cities called Babylon uh, in, that, in, in Peter's day. One was the Babylon that we read about in the Old Testament. It was still there over on the Tigris River in Persia. There was a Babylon that was in Africa. But most likely he's talking about Rome. Wherever he was in this Babylon, he says, Silas greets you, and so do the rest of the elect brothers. Remember, he started this letter out by saying, you are elect exiles. He says, well, the elect brothers and sisters in Babylon, Rome, they say, hey, too. Y'all know what Andy Griffith where? Gomer tell, Andy will tell, tell them all, Gomer says, hey, that's what, that's what Paul, uh, Peter's saying here. The folks here in Rome, Silas, he says, hey. And not only that, uh, Mark says, hey, as well. That's John Mark. The same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. By the way, most people think that Mark, Mark and Peter were close. Most people think that Peter was Mark's primary source for his, uh, when he wrote his Gospel. There are a lot of things in Mark that's told from the perspective of Peter. So we think that Peter told Mark a lot about his walk with Jesus in those three years that he lived with and walked with Jesus. But anyway, Peter enjoyed his brothers. Can I tell you, all of us here at Old New Hope, we need to enjoy each other. God's given us each other to be on this journey together. We're not alone. We're taking this trip together. Enjoy your brothers. Enjoy the journey. Also, look at verse 12. This is the true grace of God in which you stand. Peter stood. How did he enjoy the journey? First, he loved his brothers. Second, he stood firm in the grace of God. We need to learn to stand on God's grace. Because anything that we have, that's a blessing it's a, because of God's grace. We don't earn it. We're not good. It's not about our goodness. 
It's not about our holiness. It's not about how spiritual we are. The blessings that we have come because God's gracious and God is merciful and God is kind. Peter also enjoyed the journey because he was kind and he was loving to his brothers and sisters. He treated, he enjoyed being with them and he was kind and loving to them. Can I tell you, be like Peter. You know, there was an old, back when Michael Jordan was really popular, there, there was a very popular saying, be like Mike. We need to be like Peter. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the journey. Because we're going to live through it. It may be strewn with difficulty. But enjoy it. Because we're one day going home. And can I tell you that even though, as we look at verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love, that's another way of saying be kind to each other, be, be friendly. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Even though life is stressful, we can live it in peace because we have Jesus Christ. You know, on one sense it bothered me that there was a Chinese air balloon in our space. But in another way, I'm like, Jesus is still Lord. He's still on his throne. Yeah, the pandemic was bad, but guess what? Jesus is still on his throne. Our world's full of violence and ungodliness. They're having that Satan convention. Guess what? Jesus is still on his throne. And I can have peace and be at peace, and so can you. But can I tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you'll never find peace. The world promises peace. Satan promises peace. But it's an illusion. 